Section 6 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Lovin. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 4. Edited by Siba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 6. Chess Play by Luisa H. Medina. Fiercely the ivory cursor springs around. Check the deep veils and check the hills resound. The ebon monarch sees his certain fate and yields his throne to ruin and checkmate. A double conquest, Delia, hast thou won, inspired by Mars and Venus's powerful son. Lo, on the board one fallen victim dies, and in my heart a surer conquest lies. Philodor's Game of Chess What, not dressed yet, Florence? exclaimed Julia de Guerre as she entered her sister's boudoir on the evening of Madame Elite's conversazione, that reunion of all the talent and esprit in Boston. Not yet dressed, and it wants but a quarter of ten. Florence, are you dreaming over that old musty tome? Something of that kind, I confess, said Florence, as with a quiet smile she laid aside the volume. A quarter to ten o'clock. In sooth, it would be more reasonable to prepare for dreaming in good earnest than go abroad at this hour. But possess yourself in patience, Julia, for ten minutes, and my toilette will be made. Is it possible you had forgotten that tonight was the conversazione? I own the soft impeachment, replied Florence, laughing. Good heavens, how singular! Why, I have thought of little else for a week. All the literati will be there. We shall see the author of Lord Iron's Daughter. And numbers of distinguished foreigners, she whom they call the English Guicholi, is, I know, invited. And Francis Cleland, too. Oh, Florence, I have set my heart on... But mercy of heavens, Florence, quoth the loquacious young lady, interrupting herself. It is not credible that you are going to the conversazione, that figure? Why not, said her sister, who had turned aside while Julia was enumerating the guests. What's the matter with my figure? The matter? Amiable simplicity, how charming is your naivete. The matter? Just please to look at me. So saying... Julia drew up her stately form opposite the cheval glass, and Florence followed her example. The elder sister was attired in black satin, whose raven gloss made the pure whiteness of her skin the more striking. A deep French blonde shadowed, yet not concealed, the rounded shoulder, and scarcely veiled the molded bosom, which beat with anticipated triumph. Her rich auburn hair, possessing that peculiar golden tinge, so seldom seen but on the feathers of the pheasant, was arrayed with leaves and buds of the rose geranium, the deep tinge of the flower being the only color about her dress, and the one uncovered hand blazed with brilliance, gage d'amour and d'amite, perhaps, for alas, gentle reader, the peerless Julia was a sad coquette. Florence, whose charm of person were much inferior, had hastily donned a robe of virgin white, and the purity of the muslin was not freer from spot or stain than the guileless heart which beat beneath the bosom it covered with so maidenly a modesty. 
Her dark hair was plainly parted over her intellectual brow, and the string of oriental pearls confined its luxuriance. At that hour, Florence de Guerre might have stood for a portrait of innocence, and never belied the painter's skill. My dear sister, she said mildly, it is not dress that makes the difference between us. Nature has been beforehand with her, and I fear art would rather aggravate than repair her deficiencies. Come, shall we go? Oh, you are too modest, Florence. Has this book taught you so much diffidence? What is it? The game of chess? Ha! Huh. Well, I shall play a more skillful game than ever chess taught. It shall be for Francis Cleland's heart, for I am resolved to conquer it. Come. Julia's foot was on the carriage step as she spoke, for she always preferred hearing herself talk to receiving answers. So she heard not the low sigh and marked not the crimson blush which her last words had called forth. The sisters were the orphan children of a German, and committed to the care of an aunt residing in America. They had but little fortune, but so great was the beauty and accomplishments of Julia, so sweet the manners of her sister, that their company was eagerly sought by the society in which they mixed. One surpassing skill they equally possessed, the knowledge of chess, to so great and scientific a degree that neither had, as yet, met her equal. A few years ago, chess was not so common an appendage to center tables as now, and even now, to meet a player of extreme skill, especially in a female, is of rare occurrence. Both sisters could play the game without seeing the board, and either undertake three antagonists at once, of an ordinary knowledge in chess. Of course, the young ladies were not without admirers, but the most desired of both was Francis Cleland. Of Julia, because his person, fortune, and standing were all excellent. Of the gentler Florence, because she had learned to love him. The sisters were aware of this tacit rivalry, and both regarded it as a matter of little consequence. The elder was secure in her own charms, the younger too diffident to hope herself worthy of Cleland, even if the beautiful Julia were not her rival. On their arrival to the favorite temple of the arts and graces, they met indeed all whose learning or wit could instruct and enliven conversation. Here they heard the quaint remark and the witty retort, the lively attack and the Parthian-like defense, which hits hardest in flight. Here the song and the verse, the recital and the anecdote, joined to make the sands of time like diamond dust, sparkle as they passed the magic glass. Cleland was of the guests, and brighter flushed the eyes of Julia, and glowed her cheek with a more imperial crimson, as he led her to the harp. A few minutes, and the practiced coquette heightened anticipation, by vowing, like Lady Vernon, her pretty oath by yea and nay, she could not, would not, durst not play and then burst forth the glorious tide of song, in the exquisite melody of the Rhine, the Rhine, be blessings on the Rhine, until the listener's eyes overflowed and their hearts swelled with the unutterable charm of music. And as Cleland led from the instrument the enchantress, she cast a triumphant glance at Florence, on whose pale cheek the white rose deepened to a more death-like hue. Brightly flew the hours, the steps that paced those rooms that night seemed to tread alone on flowers. In every cheek the pleased smile played, from every eye the gentler passion beamed. In each heart pleasure, for the while, had built herself a tower and temple 
in all and each save one. There was one loving heart chill as the grave, one heavy eye bent on the floor, one aching head that the sweet music joyed not. Florence the Gare sat lonely and sad, musing over the broken fabric of gentle wishes, long subdued, subdued, but cherished long. He loves her. Yes, he to whom I have dared to raise this forward, erring heart, loves my sister. Am I not justly rebuked for the sin of my presumption? Is she not more worthy of a being on whom every god has set his seal than I am? In sooth, they are lovely. She will not perhaps love quite so well as with this humbler heart, but he loves her, and lo, the mystery and the might of our nature. And shall I love her less because she makes her happiness? Away with the base, the guilty thought. O oh, thou to whom the breathings of a woeful heart may be uplifted, in the crowded throng, or in the silent chamber, hear and assist me, for I will tear this folly from my heart, though every fibre rend as I bid it part forever. Ye who exult in the stern mothers of Sparta, ye who delight in the blood-stained heroism of ancient lore, and call the sacrificing trophies of an unnatural pride glorious, look here for the reality. It is such trophies as our misguided passions that it becomes us to lay on the altar of faith. The sacrifice of God is a broken and contrite spirit. Scarcely had Florence nerved herself for the worst of warfares, a struggle with ourselves, when several of the leading members of the company present approached her eagerly. As she could neither sing or play or raconte to amuse the guests, she had hitherto been left almost unnoticed by the fashionable hostess. But now that lady led the approaching van, and with persuasive accents besought her charming young friend to grant the general wish of all present. This was to play a game of chess with her sister. Frequently had they played in public, but never opposed each other. Julia, who always thought herself the superior, consented carelessly to oblige the general request, the rather, as the admiring Cleland was pouring into her ear his admiration of the game and the conviction of her skill. Assuredly, Florence would not have chosen to become thus a public object of attention. The wound in her heart was sore, and she would fain have tended it with solitude and prayer. But to give up her own pleasure was nothing new to her self-sacrificing spirit, and she submitted quietly, although not without a remark that Julia was her superior in the art. She is superior in everything, exclaimed Cleland. Flatterer, silence, said Julia, as he dressed the board for her. Say that I should not conquer? You would be a false prophet. Not conquer, you, returned he passionately. What could you not conquer if you condescended to try? You must preserve silence, Mr. Cleland, said an old gentleman who observed careering to and fro in Florence's cheek the wayward blood that would not be controlled. It is impossible to play chess if anyone speaks a syllable. On account of the great length of the game, a situation was chosen from Philidor, where both sides had equally lost and neither possessed any advantage. But alas, for poor Florence, 
Notwithstanding her real desire to play well, her heart was a traitor, and soon she lost a manifest advantage, almost with the oversight of an ordinary player. She allowed the adversary's knight to check her king and queen, thereby inevitably losing the finest piece on the board. Relentlessly did Julia pursue the chance, forgetful even of her admirer, nay, more, momently forgetting herself. She bent every energy to the game, claiming each trifling privilege in tones by no means dulcet, and displaying a triumphant exultation at winning incompatible with a generous nature. Like many other conquering general, she pursued her victory too far, for not content with conquest, she suffered her wit to exhale in sarcasm and taunted her sister's dullness. Heavens, Florence, what a move! Why, there is no triumph in conquering you. All the pride of victory is its doubt and difficulty. Cleland moved a little further off. There again, good night to you, Bishop. Why, sister, surely you must be in love. Is she not now, Mr. Cleland? Or she could not move so. This was the unkindest cut of all, and fairly roused Florence to exertion. Her eyes beamed proudly as she replied, Not in love with conquest, at least, Julia. However, I will try to do better now. Those who play the game are aware that nothing depends in chance or fortune. All is cool, calculating skill. Therefore, chess is the hardest game extant to lose it with patience, since it is a fair confession of inferior intellect. Florence bestirred herself in earnest, Julia flushed with certainty, had much relaxed her care, and soon lost several advantages. What was far worse, she lost her temper with them. Cleland, who was himself an excellent player, admired the wonderful skill which brought up again, and combined the broken elements of Florence's game, nor could he forbear to contrast the pettish ill-humor of the loser against what had been the insulting triumph of the winner. Another instance forced the moderation of Florence upon his attention. Julia was about to castle. This was the very worst thing she could have done, but her rapidly increasing temper blinded her judgment. Florence touched the queen, indicating her danger by a gesture so slight that none but he observed it, and saved Julia from total ruin. Her sister accepted the obligation as silently, slight as such a sacrifice may seem. At chess, it is enormous. Many a player would sooner give a hundred guineas than sustain a loss at chess. Many old friends has a game of chess severed, and married people should hold it in utterly forbidden pleasure. Both were now trying hard, but the impatience of Julia was driving forward the plan for checkmate without observing that by a covert maneuver of her antagonist, she herself stood without a move of loss. Come, play, play, you are so long, Florence, she exclaimed angrily. All was suspense. Those who had the skill to perceive the situation held their breaths. Cleland's eyes were riveted on Julia to observe how she could bear the loss. Florence saw the hairbreadth's chance. She looked up once to the flushed face of Julia and saw Cleland's eyes fastened there. She thought, why should I paint them both? Who cares if I win or lose? Then, with a sudden motion of her arm, she swept the remaining men, exclaiming, I will not wait for the knell of checkmate. 
I have lost, lost, lost. Proudly and exultingly, Julia arose, telling her sister that she was a vain thing not to allow her the pride of her hardly won conquest. Cleland glanced from her face, on which erstwhile every angry passion had set their seal, and were now succeeded by the no less despicable ones of paltry pride and mean jealousy, to that of Florence, as she sat arranging the men in their box, alone and unnoticed. On her placid brow sat moral beauty. Around her lips a smile of benevolence lingered like the sunlight on a pleasant scene. And if something of sadness was there, it would not long for animation. When she raised her eyes and beheld him, looking intensely and improvingly upon her. Cleland watched the varying blush, not the proud glow of vanity, but the timid maidenly suffusion of a gentle spirit and he marveled much how he could have thought Julia handsomer than Florence. Three months after that conversazione, Florence de Guerre was Cleland's wife, and her happy husband, rich in the possession of a virtuous and loving heart, often blessed heaven that she that night lost the game of chess play. End of section 6